Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca here. Happy 2024 and more importantly, thank you for your patience. I took some much needed time off from work, the podcast and Instagram over Christmas and New Year's which I really needed because, as some of you now know, I'm pregnant. I'm halfway through the pregnancy, and in terms of my mental health so far, it's been an interesting time to say the least. And so on that note, today's guest is, well, me. (laughs) I'll start by saying that I really didn't think I'd be back here behind the microphone telling my own story again. I didn't think I'd have anything to share because I had many hopes that things would be different this time. I hoped that I would be different this time, but here we are. So in this episode, I'll be sharing the story of my second pregnancy so far, how it's been similar and different to my first, my fears as I approached the third trimester and birth, and my support systems that are currently in place or planned to help me through. So before I get started, I just want to say thank you for listening and giving me the time and space to do this. This won't be a neat story. I'm still making sense of it and I feel like I've already forgotten so much of what's happened. There's also no real resolution here, I guess, because I'm still going through it. But I needed to get it out. Writing it down has helped immensely, as confronting as it is to see my deepest, darkest thoughts on a piece of paper. For many reasons, for so many of us, Pregnancy is not always the most joyful time of our lives, as painful as that is to admit. Logically, we know it's temporary, but that doesn't necessarily make it easier. And I know I'm not the only one to hold conflicting emotions about pregnancy, both joy and anguish, love and dread, hope and fear. So I hope this reaches someone who needs it. I really don't know where to begin this story. So I thought I'd start by sharing some of the words I wrote in my journal maybe seven to eight weeks ago. The cover of the journal says, own your story, and that's what I'm always trying to do. I wrote, as my first trimester ends, I can't help but reflect on the last three months. Anxiety, avoidance, overwhelm, doubt, melancholy, fear, just some of the words that come to mind. I nearly wrote regret, but doubt seemed softer. Regret feels harsh although I'd be lying if I didn't say there were many times over the last three months when I didn't wonder what I'd done or if I'd made a mistake, as hard as that is to admit, that I just wanted it out. It sucks that no matter how much work I've done to overcome my last pregnancy and postpartum, nor the work I've done to prepare for this pregnancy, it still doesn't seem like enough. That's the scary part, how little control I truly have. And with that, I guess this story really begins more than a year and a half ago, when I was diagnosed with glandular fever, as well as its evil twin CMV. So I had the double whammy and I did not cope very well. 
I was already solo parenting because my husband was away for the year on a military posting and those viruses absolutely wiped me out when I was already exhausted. I would have to force myself to wake up to take my son to daycare. I would then come home and sleep all day, <laughs> then wake up to go pick him up, then go straight back to sleep after dinner and bath. It was bare minimum survival parenting. The physical fatigue took its toll and I was symptomatic for months. I'm bringing this up because when I was eventually referred to an infectious disease specialist, I learnt that I wasn't allowed to conceive for 12 months. CMV can cause many complications in pregnancy. So that felt disappointing because I'd wanted to try for another baby a bit sooner. It also meant I wasn't comfortable lowering my antidepressant dose anytime soon, like I'd originally planned. But in hindsight, the timing worked out. After going through what I went through last time, I just wanted another baby so I could have a do-over, really. That's one of the reasons why I started relactating, because that seemed more achievable. It took a long time to sit with that, that I couldn't get a do-over. I think I was worried that there was a part of me that was doing it for the wrong reasons. In hindsight, the timing worked out. The end of those 12 months coincided with my husband posting back home to Sydney. I wasn't symptomatic anymore. And having a timeline, or a deadline really, of 12 months meant that my psychologist and I could really shift the focus of our therapy sessions to process some of my original experience so I didn't carry it into a subsequent pregnancy. And it meant that, in theory, I could prepare to deal with some of the mental health challenges that may arise. I also had a plan with my psychiatrist to wean off my medication, or at least lower it as much as possible before conceiving. So at the end of the 12 months, with my husband home and my physical and mental health doing better, <laughs> we decided to finally start tapering my medication down. If you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said that I would have weaned off the medication entirely by now. <laughs> but life happened, and there was, and still is, a part of me that's scared to wean altogether. So realistically, the goal was to go as low as I could possibly handle. And I guess that's the part that's hard to sit with, because... As low as I could handle, it wasn't very low at all, but we'll get into that. I wanted to take things slowly, and so we reduced my dose by only 25 milligrams. Within days, I was experiencing insomnia and had lots and lots of intrusive thoughts. It was confronting to be hit with symptoms so soon, but I knew all this was temporary, so I kind of just rode the waves a bit. But of course, it made me scared to lower my dose even more, and I started down the rabbit hole of... What if I have to be on the medication forever? And is the medication the only thing keeping my anxiety and OCD at bay? <laughs> I put pressure on myself to wean to prove something, but also felt scared to push myself too far at a potentially very vulnerable time. I saw my obstetrician for a preconception appointment around this time, and she was lovely and reassuring. She wasn't worried about me being on a high dose if I fell pregnant. In her opinion, the risks of sertraline are the same regardless of the dose. I don't know how accurate that is, but I think I needed to believe it. It helped me take the pressure off weaning and instead just go to a level I felt comfortable, even if that meant tapering slowly or not at all. After a month at this dose, my psychiatrist and I were going to evaluate and potentially drop the dose again, but I made the decision to slow things down and stay on that dose for a little bit longer, just to see how I managed. And I'm really grateful I didn't taper anymore at that appointment because... Within two weeks, I found out I was pregnant. I was recently gifted an advanced reader's copy of Ariane Beeston's new book, Because I'm Not Myself, You See. 
I relate a lot to Ariane's story and reflections, and you might hear me quote her a few times throughout this episode, but I'll start by sharing her description of pregnancy. She says how to describe this strange absence of emotion. It's as though all my feelings have been stripped of colour. The baby is inside of me, but doesn't really feel part of me, but is somehow all of me. And I guess on that note, once again, I'm so incredibly fortunate to conceive as easily as I did. And I'm having a very healthy pregnancy. Physically, things are well and easy. Even more so than with my son's pregnancy, which is saying something because I thought my pregnancy with him was easy. I know I'm one of the really lucky ones who gets to say that conception and pregnancy are mostly uncomplicated. And I don't take that for granted. That just adds to the sense of guilt and shame I feel because... Why do I feel the way I do when I have had no complications so far? But, as my husband reminded me, mental health complications are complications too. One of the first things that stood out to me was anger, or maybe fear disguised as anger. I had lots of intrusive thoughts about harm coming to my son. And not coming from me, it was from external sources. I'm not going to say I was hypervigilant, but I was looking for threats everywhere. I know it's a protective behaviour, but I don't like feeling so paranoid. I was able to function for the most part, um, but my behaviour changed and it scared me. Within three days of finding out I was pregnant, my son was playing in a water fountain, having the absolute time of his life. It was one of those really joyful moments. Everyone who walked past just smiled. And then I saw someone filming him. And I can't explain that rage, I guess. Um... I was so firm but shaking when I told this person to stop filming my son. And I beat myself up for a few days after because maybe I overreacted. It definitely wasn't like me. But that fear of harm to my kids and those repetitive intrusive thoughts just left me feeling not just vulnerable but really responsible. (laughs) I would now have two children to protect in a world that I have absolutely no control over. The other thing that stood out to me was the same thing that happened last time, that early stage of pregnancy with the changes to my body and very mild symptoms of nausea were enough to make me feel quote unquote sick. (laughs) I was also sporadically sick, sick too, a cough here and a sore throat there. So that didn't help my mood. But overall, my mental health didn't respond well because as I've talked about before, I don't handle being sick very well. We're talking really innocent things like really mild symptoms that most women would probably dream of. And I guess it wasn't the symptoms itself. It was just change. I immediately felt like I did three years ago, fragile, vulnerable, and afraid of change. And I guess unsettled is the right word. Uncomfortable in my own skin and body, fixating on the smallest changes. The feeling sucked, but for the most part, I was still able to manage. But then out of nowhere, my symptoms stopped altogether. And I can't logically explain how quickly anxiety took over. Only a few days before, I was feeling unsettled about being sick and mentally struggling to cope with change and pregnancy symptoms. And now all of a sudden, I was anxious about having no pregnancy symptoms. And when I say anxious, I mean anxious. I was convinced to my core that something had happened. I panicked. I booked an ultrasound scan. But this was a Sunday and I couldn't get a booking until the next day. And even that felt too far away. My husband tried to reassure me, but I lashed out. And I wasn't just anxious, I was angry. 
I yelled at him, like, I know what I'm feeling. This is my body. I know what this means. This is an anxiety talking. This is a fact. You don't know. It's not your body and a million other things I could not be reasoned with. And I was so adamant something had happened and so convinced that I was right. And I don't know where that came from, the distress of not knowing, but equally being convinced that I knew. And I couldn't sit still. My mind was racing. I was pacing. I was bouncing in my seat and fussing over little things. I couldn't sit down, let alone sleep. It's very rare I get so worked up that I feel like vomiting. I had to take one of my son's bluey colouring in books and coloured in for hours just to do something to try to distract myself until the scan the next day. And thank goodness everything was fine after all. But I wasn't okay. In the aftermath of that experience, I had to confront some really uncomfortable truths. My anxiety had so quickly taken over and I was so blinded by anxiety, I was convinced it was instinct and fact. Suddenly it felt like any progress I've made over the last two and a half years didn't matter. I was back to how everything felt in my first pregnancy. And I hate how fast it happened, how fast I fell into a puddle of anxiety, how quickly it felt like it seeped into every cell of my body. Any hope that I had that I would be okay or that I could cope with whatever came up just vanished. The anxiety of that particular moment ended, but the anxiety itself didn't stop. Insomnia kicked in, and once more I became anxious to leave the house. With catastrophic thinking and feeling like I could somehow predict horrible things, I was convinced something bad would happen to the baby or to my toddler the longer we were in the car or the further we were away from home. I forced myself to go on two big road trips, and both of them I sobbed the entire time. All I wanted to do was go home, wishing I'd never agreed to this at all. But I also knew logically that avoiding it would make things worse. I got through those car trips with lots of tears and panic. But yeah, it's just once again feeling like before, vulnerable, susceptible to bad things, out of control. And then I guess I started to be afraid of the pregnancy itself. Last time when I experienced tocophobia, I really enjoyed pregnancy with my son despite the way I felt towards the end. But this time the pregnancy itself began to feel distressing. I felt dread because I also didn't want to go through what I went through last time. And yeah, I thought I'd made peace with that, with what happened last time. But being pregnant again, I guess, brings it all back, unfortunately. I found myself becoming more impatient, more easily frustrated with my son, and I couldn't stop thinking, what am I doing? What was I thinking? Why have I done this? I'm already tired and burnt out. How will I handle another baby? If my anxiety came back so quickly already, what chance do I have? What if this is worse than last time? What if I don't recover this time? So suddenly I didn't want to be pregnant. Not that I didn't want the baby, because I did and I do. But I couldn't handle the thought of being pregnant. At six-ish weeks pregnant, I was feeling like my body wasn't my own, or that an alien was using me as a host. And I hate to admit that's how I saw the baby. I didn't want to think about it. I wanted to avoid it because I felt so scared of it, but also scared of my own thoughts about pregnancy. And before I knew it, the anxiety turned into depression, which is very different to my first pregnancy, which was just all anxiety. But in this pregnancy, depression seems to be more predominant. And that took me by surprise. I've wondered with my psychologist if it's because the antidepressants are helping to manage my anxiety for the most part, but just aren't quite high enough for the depression. I don't know if I'll ever know why, but that first trimester of pregnancy really pulled the rug from under me. If you know me, if you've listened to my story before, you'll know I'm not really scared of anxiety, but I'm scared of depression. What scared me though, this time, 
was how unafraid of depression I was. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's growth, but I felt too comfortable with it. Sitting with it felt like giving up. And I remember sitting in my psychologist's office sobbing, saying, I just want this to be over. I want it out of me already. And I have no words to nicely explain myself or to describe that contradiction of wanting to be pregnant, wanting a baby, but wanting the pregnancy to be over. And believe me, thinking these things and saying them out loud doesn't feel good. What kind of mother thinks this way, right? A mother with an uncomplicated pregnancy who is constantly told, pregnancy suits you and you're glowing. What's wrong with me that I just can't be happy? And I suppose that's a big part of the problem. Not so much the anxiety or depression itself, but rather the self-criticism I have for feeling the way that I do. The stories I suddenly told myself, that added layer of shame that I became fixated on. Any self-compassion I've learned over the last two and a half years just seemed to vanish. And I was sad at myself for how quickly my mental health took a nosedive. And I was angry and embarrassed how I felt because, again, I don't have a real reason to feel this way. I'm healthy and I seem to grow healthy babies and everyone tells me how much I glow. But there's this awful gnawing feeling in my stomach that I'm not cut out for pregnancy. Maybe my body is, but my mind isn't. And it just once again reinforced this narrative that my brain is broken and that really hurts to sit with because what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my brain? Going back to Ariane Beeston's book, she wrote something that felt all too familiar, like it was pulled from my own brain. She wrote, I look down at the limbs that carry me, that carried him, and I want to say that my body is strong, my body is willing, it's my mind that's the fragile thing. And I really fixated on this concept, here I am with so many protective factors, social and financial, and yet I still feel this way. So again, I keep replaying in my mind that I don't have a legitimate reason to feel this way, so there must be something wrong with me. Something I wrote in my journal from this time kind of sums that up a bit better. I wrote, I'm once again reminded of how fragile my mental health is, how dependent it is on my physical health, and how easily affected it is by hormones. I didn't expect anxiety, least of all depression, to hit so quickly. There's something really awful about feeling like I'm not made for pregnancy. Physically, it's easy. Mentally, I'm left wondering whether my mind just isn't suited for the changes that pregnancy brings. And this self-criticism and these stories that I tell myself about my symptoms, they've just been adding a constant stream of fuel to an already well-fueled fire. I'll go into the depression in a bit more detail, but I really noticed it when I started to announce the pregnancy to my family and friends. The announcement itself and the congratulations bring this rush of excitement and dopamine. But then I was constantly bombarded with, oh, you must be so excited. And it's such an innocent thing to say, and I'm sure I wouldn't think twice saying it to another mother, but hearing those words just held a mirror up to me because I wasn't excited, not really. (laughs) Of course, I'm happy to be pregnant and to have another baby and to be healthy. Of course, I did want this, but I was feeling so many things, scared, vulnerable, uneasy. Excitement just wasn't really one of them. And now instead of insomnia, I started to oversleep. Not just because pregnancy, especially while looking after a toddler, is utterly exhausting, but because depression is exhausting. I wanted to sleep until it was over. I wanted to sleep and not wake up so I could just have a moment of respite from my own minds. 
I was just so exhausted. So imagining myself as a mum of two very quickly took me back to that place of feeling unable to cope, unable to handle change, incapable, vulnerable, and just convinced that I'll be overwhelmed by trying to do any bare minimum parenting. My kids deserve better than that. And the worst part, I think, was when I started testing myself. And that's weird to say out loud. I don't know if I'm describing this properly, but I would pose myself these questions like, if something happened to the baby, would I even be sad? And I know in my heart I would be devastated, but when you're in that headspace, when you can't feel anything but numb, and you're asking yourself a question like that, knowing that you're not going to react or not feel anything straight away, you weaponize it. And it just becomes proof to use against yourself. The pain just obscures any logic in that moment. And it's a really shitty game to play. I guess it's a form of checking and seeking reassurance. But when it's coupled with that depression, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy of asking yourself a rhetorical question when you know what the answer will be. And you're like, aha, see, I knew I wasn't going to feel anything. Of course I'm a bad mother. Of course I shouldn't be doing this. My children are better off without me. And the depression and low mood and testing were all becoming ammunition to use against myself. Any shred of confidence that I had as a mum just went away. My son and I have such a beautiful connection and I love being his mum. But it's like that didn't matter anymore. Any belief that things would be okay was gone and was replaced by that old belief that I would ruin my kids. So the whole what have I done, just began to feel more real. And I can't count the number of times I've said to myself or my husband that I never want to do this again. And I don't know if that's real or if I'm just scared or if I'll always feel this way or if I'm right to be scared, but it hurts to think that, to say that. A friend of mine who recently just had her second barb has been talking about wanting to have a third right away and even a fourth. And I used to think that would be me couldn't even tell you the number of children I want and that's not really the point I suppose. I just want to be the one to make that decision, me, not my mental health deciding for me. That's the part I think I grieve. Not so much the fact that I probably won't have more kids but more so it feels like this decision is not up to me and it's just something else that mental ill health has taken away. I want to love pregnancy I want to be the mum who can have a baby without some sort of mental breakdown. And that's where the sadness comes in, because as much as I want that, as much as I thought that that would be me, in reality it's hard to love something that scares you, that feels like it nearly killed you, however illogical that seems. There's just this weird grief, I guess, that comes with never wanting to go through this again even though it's something you want and wish you could experience without your brain turning against you. It just sucks not to enjoy something you actually want. And as I said before, there's this awful, indescribable pain that comes with believing to your very core that no matter how well your body is coping, your mind isn't suited for pregnancy or maybe even motherhood itself, I don't know. There's something else Ariane wrote in her book that really resonated with me. I even shared it on Instagram. She wrote, We don't often talk about the aftermath of a breakdown, the kind that has changed the fabric of who you are, what you're made of. People want a neat story. I was unwell and I recovered. But it's never that simple. Even after you're better and no longer just living but thriving. If you've lost your mind once before, 
you carry the fear of losing it again. I couldn't turn the page, not without rereading these words over and over and over again. Like how when you finish a book and you have to sit with it for a while longer before moving on to the next book. That's how I felt about this one paragraph. And yeah, let's just say that the first trimester of pregnancy, let alone my future, felt quite overwhelming and hopeless. I recorded the last episode of the podcast, which was episode 25 with Ashley, the day after I found out I was pregnant. So my pregnancy hadn't been touched by anxiety or depression yet. And of course, everything she said touched me, although it hadn't really sunk in. It wasn't until I was actually editing the episode and re-listening to her experience, maybe over a month later, that her words really hit me. She had anxiety during her first pregnancy, then depression through her second. And it was like I was listening to my own experience being narrated as it happened. I messaged Ash straight away to tell her about my pregnancy, but more so to thank her for her honesty about how she felt in her own pregnancy. Because of course, I did not expect to feel the way I did about my pregnancy. I didn't expect to go through depression. Of course, I didn't want this, and I'm sure Ashley didn't either. But hearing her experience and relating to it also brought me some hope. I needed to hear her say that she had faith that it would get better, and that it did. More than anything, hearing her say, I'm not the only one, (laughs) at least three times through tears and laughter brought tears to my own eyes. And it didn't cure me, of course, but I guess I needed the reminder that no matter how bad it feels right now, It's temporary. I started this podcast in the hopes that these stories will help all of you. But sharing these stories helps me too, maybe more than I even realise sometimes. And I guess I'll talk here about the supports that are in place or planned to help me through the rest of the pregnancy, the birth and postpartum. I'll start by saying that truthfully, with the headspace I've been in, it's been hard to engage or actively prepare. The focus has definitely just been on surviving. As I said, I'm seeing my wonderful psychologist and psychiatrist. Between the two of them, we're working on planning for the third trimester and postpartum, processing my previous birth, and just reminding me of skills that I have and ensuring that my mental health is as supported as it can be. I'm back in touch with the same obstetric social worker from my hospital to provide that comfort and support in the lead up to birth and the hospital stay afterwards. My obstetrician is very supportive and lovely with this too. I don't know if that fear of birth, tocophobia, will come back. I've been worried about that. Um, Tocophobia is also a fear of pregnancy. And so I wondered if what was happening when I was wanting the pregnancy to be over was tocophobia. I don't think that's what happened, but the thought definitely crossed my mind a few times. In terms of birth right now, I do want to try for a VBAC. My OB hasn't put any pressure on me to have a C-section. But honestly, I'm trying not to commit or overthink it right now and cause myself to spiral. At the end of the day, what I want to feel more than anything is safe. And what safe looks like to me today versus in a couple weeks may change. I'm trying to consume some bite-sized pieces of information to prepare, but I'm proud of myself that I'm not going down the rabbit hole of researching and worrying and feeling like I have to know everything to be in control, as tempting as that is. I guess that's been one of the biggest differences from last time is that yes, the symptoms are still there and there are some new symptoms as well, but the way I'm reacting to them or behaving is different from last time. So when I do experience insomnia, I don't try to use that time to be productive because last time I thought if I just know the answer, 
if I just make a decision, then maybe I'll be able to sleep. <laughs> this time I'm pushing that away and I'll stay in bed. I'll keep the lights off. I won't open my laptop. I just ride the insomnia and try not to think too hard about it or fuss about it or wonder what it means. And that's been a big help, not thinking that somehow more knowledge will save me. Unlike last time, I have more awareness about my behaviours. And while I can't necessarily prevent the symptoms, I'm working on the behaviours that leave me stuck. And I know that if the insomnia does get out of hand, I know that there is PRN medication I can take. I haven't had to yet, though. I've started to see a lactation consultant who's a GP with an interest in mental health, which I'm really excited about. She was recommended to me by my psychologist, who I trust immensely, and we'll see how it goes. But I think this is the right step to not just prepare, but also to process my last feeding journey and to help me figure out what exactly I want and how to feel a bit more confident going into the next postpartum so that I feel supported. I really don't even know if I want to exclusively breastfeed or if I want to combo feed, but whatever decision I make, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing by myself and feel prepared for whichever eventuality plays out. Going forward with medication with my psychiatrist, the plan is to revisit my dose in the third trimester, potentially increasing it back to the original dose that I was on, maybe even higher. <laughs> the third trimester was when things really did take a nosedive, when my anxiety just exploded and the tocophobia set in. So we'll see what I need at that time and evaluate them. And as my obstetrician explained to me, the third trimester of pregnancy is when your blood volume almost doubles. <laughs> so your dose inevitably becomes diluted apparently. So it's just working out what's going to be right for me at that point in time. The MBU, the mother and baby psychiatric unit, is still an option and one that I'm, yeah, there's a part of me that would be sad that I need it again, but also a part of me that feels relief knowing it's there. The option has been there to be admitted during pregnancy if I really did need it and if I was really, really struggling. There were a few times when I thought I'd have to make that call. I've been very fortunate that I didn't. The second trimester has kind of come along and like last time, I feel like myself again. I feel lighter and things feel more manageable. <laughs> Maybe it's denial, I don't know. I guess that's another feeling to sit with, that my brain is just so susceptible to the hormonal changes and the fluctuations that happen in the first and third trimesters. Definitely reinforce the whole what's wrong with me mentality. So I guess in a weird way, that's been a humbling reminder to know that I haven't done anything wrong. It's not like I haven't been trying hard enough. As awful as it feels to know that it's not necessarily something I can control. So yeah, the MBU is still there as an option if I really need it. Depending on how things go in that third trimester, I can decide to go straight from the birthing hospital to the MBU so that I'm not going home like I did last time where things felt really scary and out of control. I'd be going to that safe place, being surrounded by my psychiatrist and therapists and social workers and occupational therapists and just having a safe place to land before I make the big trip home. And I guess this time might be a little bit harder to navigate because I've also got a toddler to think about and will my husband be able to stay? There's more logistics to worry about. It would be nice to have everything fall into place where I don't need that support, but I'm also trying not to beat myself up if I do need it because I'd rather be well earlier on in my journey than go home and suffer. So there's options. I don't know what else postpartum planning will look like right now. I'm sure there's a whole lot more I could be doing or a lot more things that I could be instigating now in preparation, but 
there's really a fine line for me that I need to balance because obviously I want to be proactive and prepare and protect myself. But I also know what happened last time and that need to be in control, that all became an obsession to be prepared, to be on top of everything, to control every variable, every outcome that became so consuming and completely took over and caused a lot of distress because there was that pressure that I had to make a right decision and that there was such a thing as a wrong decision that would be catastrophic. (laughs) So I'm trying to walk this very fine line and I don't know if I've got the balance right. I guess I've been avoiding thinking too hard about postpartum and my third trimester in order to protect myself. But then I also want to prepare and be proactive and make sure that I do have the right supports in place or that I've got frozen meals in the freezer or whatever. So yeah, I don't know the answer, but this is where I'm at. To get through that first trimester, I did colouring in and puzzles or little things like that, even just for five minutes a day to get out of my own head. I journaled a little and almost instantly the thoughts that had been eating at me for weeks just kind of left. I always seem to forget how powerful journaling can be for me. I'm surrounded by such wonderful, supportive, caring family and friends. I have such an incredible care team around me. I'm back to doing some pregnancy yoga and aquanoodal aerobics. I'd like to go more, but again, logistics with a toddler isn't easy and I've also been sick. (laughs) But when I do go, I imagine all my thoughts and the nervous energy just leave my body. (laughs) At least it's nice to pretend that's happening anyway. Now that I'm in the second trimester and out of that fog of the first trimester, I do feel a bit more at ease and I'm really trying to do things that I enjoy or that bring me some joy, like reading and listening to podcasts and looking at old photos and videos of my son. It's been nice and brings up a lot of good feelings to make this hard time a little less so and to remind myself that there are good things to come. I remember when I was in the MBU, one of the activities we did last time was like a value-based activity where you had to write down either places or memories or things that you owned and that were valuable to you and you had to, you know, one by one you had to take some of those pieces of paper away until you were left with just three. And from memory, this is testing my memory, the three that I was left with were all memories because that's what I needed to hold on to hope. And so looking at these photos and videos and just just holding on to that gives me some hope. Playing with names and imagining the baby and what Pudgy will be like as a big brother is helping too. It's a start and it's a little bit of hope. It's very weird to talk about or to conclude this episode because while the big, big stuff of the first trimester is over, I am still in the middle of it. The third trimester is coming and I guess right now there's no neat ending I can give you, no lesson learnt, just a potential cliffhanger that may not even be a cliffhanger and which I'm trying not to look at as a cliffhanger. (laughs) Pregnancy has this weird way of making me feel like I'm standing still even though everything is changing and I know more change is coming and it all goes so fast, there's also a sense of being stuck. I've always been fascinated by this concept of time and being pregnant again. I feel like I'm on that ledge of everything that happened before coming back and also the I don't know what the future will hold (laughs) and that space feels very surreal and I want the answers but I can't have them. 
And I don't know if history will repeat itself or if things will be different or what will happen. And I guess as cliche as it is, only time can tell. So thank you for listening to me talk about this moment in time, about my pregnancy so far, this moment where I'm reflecting on all that happened last time and uncertainty about what will happen next. As Ashley reminded us in the last episode, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one feeling this way in pregnancy, conflicted and anxious and depressed and guilty and confused and dreading it and stuck and ashamed and scared and just wanting it to be over. So I'm sharing this with you all because I know I'm not the only one. And I know none of this reflects the quality of our mothering or the love that we have for our children. And I hope this reaches someone who needs it, just like Ashley's episode did for me. Before I go, I'm going to share a snippet of something that I wrote on Instagram. There are no words, no labels that can neatly describe the clusterfuck of mental illnesses and symptoms that broke me the first time around. And there are no words that I've yet to find anyway, which neatly encompass another physically healthy, albeit mentally ill pregnancy. Time is moving, but I feel stuck. So as I sit here on the cusp between 2023 and 2024, I'm both relieved for a symbolic ending but afraid to turn the next page. On the cusp between a mother of one and mother of two. On the cusp between the familiar and the new, the known and the unknown. On the cusp between what is and what next. On the cusp between past and future. A past that is constantly tugging at me and a future that is dragging me forward, no matter how much I try to deny time. I really don't know what 2024 will look like, but I can only hope I land in a place somewhere on the cusp between making sense of the mess in my mind versus acceptance that I'll never make sense of it at all. A mama on the cusp, Rebecca. In the next episode, we'll go back to our usual format, hearing incredible stories from incredible mothers. But for now, just thank you and see you next time. Thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story. If you like this episode, please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content. Join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website, perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. No medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.